this is what they did with the women is they they took them and they strapped them to the prow of the ships the mongolian invasion fleet so all these women were strapped to the ships as they sailed towards the mainland of japan um is that real that's legit real yeah that's how they intimidated uh peoples that they were trying to conquer and so you know we just spent a whole episode discussing how cultured (laughs) and tolerant the mongols were for a variety of things but if you killed their envoy and if you yeah that's true if you went after them they did not mess around they were like we're gonna burn everything to the ground dead bod history what if welcome to this episode of dad bod history what if i'm jake I'm Eric. I'm Nick. He's back. Nick's back. He's alive. Return of the Nick. Return I have returned. Of the Nick. So we're excited to have uh, him back. It's are you editing the episodes again or? Nope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of when I was a kid. And Nick episode I went, Nick I was, edited your episodes? All the time. But no when I was a kid. And I, I was out in the backyard and I, my dad had shown me how to start a lawnmower. And so I went and I did it. I did it all by myself. And I went into my, went back into the house. I go, Dad, I figured it out. I can start the lawnmower. He goes, all right, good. That's your new chore. And from then on, <laughs> that's what I did. I did, I mowed the lawn. So on this episode, every, what if, what if so Jake that's just doesn't learn how to mow the lawn? So that's what happened to you, Eric. You just learned how to edit yourself. And Nick just gave well, you that as your new chore. Oh, that's that's when Jake learned to uh, not be too good at things he doesn't like. Yeah, so that's when mediocrity became my mantra. And I do this poorly, and I'll never be asked to do it again. So, anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. But we're talking about what if um, the Mongol invasion of Japan was successful in 1274 or 1281. Mm. Um, So we just spent an episode talking, Eric and I, about um, the Mongols in general and how they had formed the largest contiguous empire in history. And they conquered all these nations, China, um, what we call modern-day Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, much of the Middle East, parts of Russia, Poland, Hungary. And and they had very few setbacks in their initial conquest. One of those setbacks, however, was their invasion of Japan. And initially, what had happened was shortly after Kublai Khan had conquered China and Korea and unified them under the Mongolian Empire, he sent some envoys to Japan. And he sent those envoys saying basically to promise good relations. And he this was a common thing that the Mongolians did. They would send envoys to to uh, countries or territories that weren't yet conquered and say, Hey, let's have a let's have some um, good relationships or communication and it would be really great if you were under Mongolian universal rule. And the Japanese basically told him to go pound sand. And I think he sent several sets of envoys and, and the Japanese killed some of them and sent some back with nothing. And so eventually Kublai Khan said, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to invade. And the first invasion uh, of Japan was, was, and the book I read was called, aptly enough, the Mongolian invasions of Japan in 1274 and 1281. So the title is great. Yeah, very. Um, written by Stephen Turnbull. And the the first invasion was a, was a pretty large force, but it wasn't overwhelmingly so. As I think they said, the there's about 600 ships, about 9,000 or so 
um, soldiers. Much of them were most likely Korean and, and not actually Mongolian, which was another common practice of Mongolians is that they would make newly conquered peoples uh, kind of conscript them into the army. And they did some in, uh, an initial attack. They went to a couple of islands first um, from Korea. Uh, the first one is the invasion of uh, Takashima. So they landed there, fought, and then they went to the island of Iki, which is just uh, a few miles from Japan. And from there, and here's what's interesting, is they defeated the Japanese there. It was a small force, and, and basically Jap Japan was not a, a unified group. And they defeated the, the force there, and they found the women of the island hiding, and they put holes through their hands, and they put ropes through the holes, and they strung ah. them out in front of the samurais that were fighting. And like the samurais are about to attack, and they marched all these, these women out all the, the women of the island out with the holes and the ropes through their hands and the samurai's like oh what do we do and so they stopped and gave up and they were all killed and the women <laughs> this is what they do with the women is they they took them and they strapped them to the prow of the ships the mongolian invasion fleet so all these women were strapped to the ships as they sailed towards the mainland of japan um is that real as, that's legit real. Yeah. That's how they intimidated uh, peoples that they were trying to conquer. And so... You know, we just spent a whole episode discussing how cultured <laughs> and tolerant the Mongols were for a variety yeah. of things. But if you killed their envoy and if you... Yeah, that's if true. You, if you went after them, they did not mess around. They were like, we're going to burn everything to the ground. And so oh that's what they, they they took the women, strapped into the prows of the ship, and then went to the mainland. So the samurais that are waiting on mainland Japan see all these these women um, on these Mongolian ships crashing through the waves um, as they're getting ready to defend. So the the Mongolians were masters of psychological warfare. Um, that's dark. They, they did an initial invasion. They landfalled at the Bay of Hakata in twelve um, in November of twelve seventy one. And they attacked the the Japanese fought fiercely and, and they were you know the the Japanese code of honor was very much like um, back then they mount the the Japanese viewed the bow and arrow as kind of the superior weapon and so they'd ride on horseback and they would look for a worthy opponent to fight and they would challenge him and they would go riding at each other shooting their bow and arrow and then whoever won was the victor and they'd take off their head and and present it to the emperor later. Well, the Mongolians didn't fight that way. The Mongolians fought in massive groups, and the Jap Japanese fought in small groups. And so the Mongolians did, um, you know, they would send volleys of arrows. And, and so the Japanese, it was, a, it was a kind of a clash of two styles of warfare, that, and one the Japanese were not familiar with was this whole kind of mass mobilization, whereas the Japanese were so enamored with honorable fighting and dying honorably and... And the Mongolians were like, just win, just win, baby, as Al Davis would say. <laughs> and, um, and so the Mongolians advanced, 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 and then they had to stop. And they, they left in 1274. Some think it's because one of their leaders um, was Well, shot. by this point, all the women with holes in their hands had rotted away. 
Well, it was only they a few days. They weren't recognizable anymore. So. But I would hope they would have been dead by then. But yeah, they, they, the Mongolians Gosh. stormed the beach. They rode off on their horses. They'd send thousands of arrows at the Japanese. And eventually they they withdrew. And why they withdrew is kind of unknown. Um, some think, though, it's because a, a young uh, samurai shot an arrow and it killed one of the Mongolian commanders. And they're like, well... Um, it kind of dispirited the Mongolians and some think that Kublai Khan never intended to conquer them on this expedition. He just kind of wanted to test them out and see what their forces were like. And so they didn't really bring a full invasion fleet. They just brought kind of an expeditionary fleet. And so in 1274, they left. In 1281 is when they planned the massive invasion. And this is where the Japanese had built a defense wall. Again, same islands. They went and hit the first one. They went to Iki and then into Hakata Bay on the mainland of Japan. This time the Japanese had built a defense wall in the in the bay. And um, as the Mongolian ships were coming into the bay, they would send out small boats to go attack the Mongolian ships so that they couldn't disembark and, and kind of held them back. Um, and without getting too much into the detail, the, the samurai warriors were able to adapt their tactics. They were able to learn how to fight the Mongolians and, and take away their advantages in numbers and held them long enough that the Mongolians eventually set set and started to pull back. And as they pulled back, this huge typhoon hit and destroyed the Mongolian Navy. Hundreds and hundreds of ships, thousands and thousands of Mongolians dead. Um, and kind of ended any plan for a, a future conquest of Japan. And, and that's what that wind, that typhoon is called the Kamikaze, or the divine wind. And that divine wind is what they... And, they say spared them from the invasion. Hmm. So the what happened after that is, you know, Mongol kind of went on to their way. And I, I always viewed that as kind of like, it's not that the Mongolians couldn't have conquered Japan. It's just that it wasn't worth the time sort of thing. Like when we talked about um, Romans conquest of Britain, the reason it worked is because it was relatively easy. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't it wasn't something that needed to be worked at. And I think this was kind of a similar thing. Like, let's do it. Let's try and let's see what happens. And if it doesn't happen, we'll, we'll get them later. But it's not worth it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the kind of the end of their incursion into Japan. So our question is, what if the conquest had worked? What if the divine wind, the, the typhoon in 1281 had not come and destroyed the Mongolian fleet. They still vastly outnumbered the Japanese. Mm -hmm. Um, And had they been able to make a landing, what would have been the consequence? How would that have changed, I guess, obviously Japan's history, Mongol history, the world? Um, That's kind of the question we have before us today. Yeah, so there's a couple things that come to mind. One is, let's say the, you know, the first thing is the, the typhoon doesn't hit the fleet makes landfall, the fleet disembarks, and now you have a Mongolian army mm-hmm. on, um, on what is that? Honshu is their main island. Mm-hmm. So if you have a Mongol army on Honshu, which, you know, what the Mongolians have been dealing with in most of their conquests is not necessarily mountainous terrains. They've been dealing with mountains, but they go around them. They go to the plains. They go to the lowlands. They go to the open areas where they attack. Japanese don't have a ton of that. They're dealing with a ton of mountains. So the next question is, okay, you can make landfall. Can you successfully conquer 
the Japanese home islands, mm-hmm. um, can you complete the conquest? Which I think we've seen that they're fully capable of. But much of their conquests required them to take cities, and most of those cities were taken, um, were surrendered to them. Are the Japanese going to surrender any cities? Well, you mean because of the way that they look at warfare and honor? And yeah, code of honor. yeah. Some of their not that other places didn't have a code of honor, but I think other places also had understood the Mongol way of go ahead and surrender your city. We're not going to destroy anything. We'll take what we want, and that'll be that. And you'll get to just be in our empire. Would the Japanese have? <laughs> had enough understanding of that to just let the Mongols take it, or would they have fought to the last man at every city in their entire empire? Yeah. And and it's a good question because Mongols, not only do they let cities and people live, oftentimes they would let the kings or emperors live Mm -hmm. and say, well, send a daughter or a son to us and we'll exchange and they'll get married and and, um, you can still rule, but just know that, we're in charge of everything. So that's very possible that had they, when the envoy had come, had they been able to have the foresight to say, you know, we, we get it. Um, but I don't think their code of honor would have let them. I think that's the whole thing is, is the, the samurai code and, and the way Japanese culture was, was very much, it's more, Dishonor is worth, worse than death. You know, so many people say, well, what's worse than death? And to Japan, especially to the samurai, dishonor was worse than death. Surrendering was worse than dying in battle. Um, and, and in these stories, when you talk about the Mongol invasions, so many of these samurais, especially on Iki Island, um, they knew they were going to lose. And so instead of surrendering, they went and killed themselves. They committed ritual suicide. Um, because they didn't want the dishonor of, of surrendering to an enemy. And so, no, I I don't think the cities would have surrendered, uh, even if even if the Mongols had made an example of of one of them. They I think they would have continued to fight on, and so it would have been a very hard conquest. However, I do think that had they been able to make a landfall, they still would have been able to conquer at least Honshu Island. Yeah, I mean, I, just a, a quick glance at, I'm, I was curious about Japanese Bushido code. Um, you know, they think, while it's not named early on, it there's a lot of references to those ideals as early as the 13th century, which is when the Mongols would have been invading. So um, <clears throat> some of that, that Japanese Bushido code, that honor code would have been in place at least in a loose form at that point. Mm-hmm. But whatever preceded it would have been probably of the same stock and would have allowed the Japanese to say, we're, we'd rather die than, than surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I think whether the Mongolians would have conquered Japan, and if they did, based on what we've read and what we talked about previously, I don't know how much of Japan would have been that different than yeah. had they not been, had the invasion not happened or had it had happened. Like, obviously, I think there'd be a new emperor and new right. ruling group uh, there. But I think 
Japanese culture largely would have stayed the same. Yeah, and if you see history as a through a lens of <clears throat> the culture and the movements of, of people as being primary to particular leaders, I think the Japanese still move through history in much the same way that they did, although being controlled by by Mongol, the Mongol Empire, would have opened them up much earlier to European influence. Mm-hmm. Um, because even the Japanese, during European exploration times, 15, 1600s, they were very closed off to um, European intervention. Christian missionaries were there for a while, and they all got kicked out. People would be executed on the shores for showing up in Japan when they shouldn't. Um, by being controlled by the Mongols, I think that's the big piece is that the Japanese are now going to be forced to be open to the rest of the world, um, to their, you know, the, the crafts and to religion and culture and ideas that they otherwise would have closed themselves off to, or they did close themselves off to. Yeah. Have you, you've been to Japan, right, Eric? Yes. Yeah. That's all. I just yep. wanted to ask. <laughs> yeah, I had this conversation the other night, actually. We were talking about... Yeah. Uh, I was talking with someone, and I've been to Japan, and what I enjoyed... What, uh, to Japan and Hawaii, and enjoyed the sushi in both places. Um, yeah. 200 miles inland from the ocean is not the best place to get sushi. I.e. Arizona? Is yeah, that what you're saying? basically. Okay. Sorry to hear that. Um, I, I, I think it's an interesting question, just because the the divine wind which i think we all give this credit like the japanese had no chance um were it not for this typhoon that hit mm-hmm. however based on the reading i've seen the japanese were fighting and they were fighting well not just yeah not just uh you know doing their best but i mean they were they were holding the mongolian fleet back um and and kind of making the mongolians fight on the japanese terms which is the best way to kind of dictate battle. Um, but I think had the Mongolians landed, it would have been a different story because then you're now playing more to the Mongolian strength, which is even massive so cavalry. if the Mongolians, if the Mongols land <clears throat> and we assume that the Japanese continue to fight um, and don't surrender that's going to be something that's also foreign to the Mongols and having to fight through an entire nation, city by city by city, and none of them surrender. That could be another turning point in the in the favor of the Japanese. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, the Mongols don't make it inland. They don't make it on shore. And so we never see the pitched battle between the Japanese and the, the Mongols. Mm-hmm. How many troops are we talking about here for the Mongols? Um, <clears throat> Tens of thousands. I, I don't remember off the top of my head exactly. Uh, the Mongolians were actually pretty good. I think on this second um, invasion in 1281, they actually had two fleets, one coming from Korea and one coming from China. They were supposed to meet up. What happened was the Korean fleet was like 600 ships and the the uh, fleet from China was like another three or 400 ships. And the Korean fleet actually kind of advanced a little too early and didn't meet up when they were supposed to because they're like oh we got this and so they sent like 30,000 troops against the Japanese the Japanese built this defensive wall in the Bay of Hakata sent all these small ships out and um, were able to 
jump from their small ships onto the Mongolians' larger ships and attack and fight them and then um, get off and, and then go back onto the shore. And so it, it just kept preventing the the Mongolians from ever making that beachhead, which is which was the goal. The, the issue with the Japanese is that they weren't... I don't know if they were truly unified. Like, the first invasion was... And 1274 was totally local defense. It was totally like, hey, this is happening, um, so get ready. Good luck. And then the second invasion was more concerted, but it, it, it wasn't It wasn't totally. It still wasn't like, there was no like unified Japanese mobilization. Yeah, the Japanese of, had the, a shogunate, which is basically a, yeah. a general who's in charge of everything. But then you've got this half a dozen clans who are all mm-hmm. involved. The numbers I have here for 1281, it's 40,000 Japanese with 60,000 reinforcements that hadn't shown up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Mongols had 100,000 and, 400, and 40,000. So those mm-hmm. two different forces. Um, and they, they lost 100,000. Well, and, wow. and when the ships crashed and the Mongolians are swimming in the water, the Japanese on their little boats would grab them and kill them and... and and bring them in deck. They didn't let anybody live. I mean, it's, it so. says here twenty to thirty thousand were captured, captured and probably executed. But mm-hmm. um, or they were, or the the only ones that they were favorable to were the the Chinese from the Song Dynasty. If they could tell that you were from the Song, because they had friendly relations with the the Song Dynasty, then they would press them into service. But they didn't mm-hmm. kill them. Pretty much everyone else, they killed Korean, Mongol, um, or otherwise, they, they had them executed. I mean, I guess it's, you guys just talked about the Mongols, but, um, you know, it's interesting to me, like, how uh, the the Mongol nation only lasted for so long, right? It's like 140 so, years, that empire. Right. So, like you're saying... Japanese culture survives. They don't have a history of uh, changing the culture and the places that they take over. So a lot of the what ifs that you've done in the past are how does this change the course of history? The interesting thing about this what if is like it's almost just how does this change the next however many years that the Mongol dynasty survives? I mean, does this change the course of the Mongol dynasty? I guess that's my question. I, th- I think that's a good question, I, and I tend to agree with you. I think the only major change, because much like the Mongols conquered China, but China's continued on since then, I think that's what would happen in Japan. However, what Eric said with opening Japan up um, to the rest of Asia, and especially opening it up to the West uh, centuries before it probably would have, mm. I think that would have been a big change. But... There's no, there's nothing to say that after the Mongols and their empire faded, that the Japanese wouldn't have gone isolationist again. I mean, because the the Chinese did that in the 1600s. So, do you think possible. that? Do you think that the Mongol Empire would have lasted longer having Japan? Like, was it good for them strategically in some unknown way? There's a lot of gold, but well, they would have had some great warriors. I mean, that's yeah. Right, that had survived. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> those samurai would have had to surrender or be captured in order to fight for the Mongols. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's so. A, I 
there was there was a lot of wealth. There was a lot of gold. I mean, that was part of what uh, in the book I read that drew Kublai Khan is the rumors of this land of gold, um, because Japan had been mining and exporting gold for quite a while. Um, so that would have that would have definitely helped them. Um, whether or not it, it's a game changer and, and keeps the Mongol Empire, I, I don't think that's gonna. I don't think that's gonna happen. Right. Hmm. So anyway, it's a it's a fun question. I think it's a like you said, Nick. I don't I don't know if it shapes the direction of world history. Um, right. But it definitely would have changed Japan. I mean, there would have been this. Just like in China, there's this Mongol Yuan dynasty in China. There would have been that same thing in Japan. Um, and then, you know, administered would, by the Japanese. Japanese. Run yeah. by the clans, but with a Mongol at the head. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been the biggest visible change. Okay. So that's what we got for this one. Yeah. Dad bought history. What if? What if? The Mongol invasion of Japan had succeeded. Thank you. I'm going to do it. Come in.